0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Please this morning to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And just one verse, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ whenever we christians speak of the finished work of christ we are quite naturally referring uh, to what jesus did on the cross and now he said on the cross it is finished and what he meant by that was that the work to complete our salvation that the father sent him to do that it was done it was complete It is finished. And also, what he was saying is that that Old Testament covenant with all of its rituals and ceremonies and sacrifices and priesthood, that all of that was gone. It was over. The veil in the temple had been rent in two from top to bottom, showing that the way into God's presence was now made open for us. Yeah. No longer would we need a priest to go in there once a year with a sacrifice, with blood, but Jesus was our sacrificial lamb. So that really is his finished work as far as our salvation is concerned. But laying our soul's salvation aside for a moment, we are his unfinished work And while the work of our salvation is complete in him, yet the work of sanctification is incomplete. He's still working on us. There's still a job to be done. One is our position in Christ, but the other is a process that we go through from now until he returns. He's still doing a wonderful work in each of our lives. He's perfecting us, he's molding us, he's shaping us. He's already begun that work, but it's not complete yet. It's an unfinished work, and it will not be finished until we see him face to face. Now, isn't that good news? Hallelujah. It really is good news, because even though we mess up, and even though we have quirky bits in our lives, and even though we feel, and even though we often feel inadequate and sometimes inferior to many others, yet we have got the encouragement and the assurance that we are not the finished article, that he is still working a work in our lives every single day. Now, there may be a, a, a ton of things that you don't like about me. Don't come and tell me, though. I'm really struggling enough with my own thoughts on that. I don't need you to tell me that. But there may be a ton of things you don't like about me. There may be times when I will do something that, or say something that was unChrist-like. If that is the case, don't be too hard on me. Because he hasn't finished with me yet. I'm not the complete article. And you're not the complete article either. But what God has started, he will finish. Glory. Hallelujah. He that has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. If he is the author of your faith, he will be the finisher of your faith. If he is the alpha in your life, he will be the omega in your life. Do you believe that today? Amen. He who has begun a good work in you, he will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. What confidence, what assurance, what strength that gives when you know that God is still working in our lives, that he started something, but it's still continuing. So there's hope for us, isn't there? In Isaiah, Isaiah, 49 and Jeremiah 1 and Psalm 139 and Galatians 1, all of the writers, the prophets, and Paul all tell us that even before we were born, God had a plan for our lives. And thank God that right now, sitting there, redeemed, washed in the blood, name in the book of life, saved, born again of God's Spirit, that means. That you have begun to run the race that was set before you, even before you were ever born into this life. And so, thank God you're on a journey. It's a journey of faith, it's a journey that will last until Jesus comes or until He calls. When I began this journey all those years ago, I often said to myself, Why me? There was lots of others that I could look upon who were much more gifted, greatly talented, a tremendous ability. And again, I would look at them and think, well, what does God see in me that they haven't got an abundance? Why me? So I, I, I knew those feelings of inadequacy. Uh, I knew those feelings of just being raw, and untrained and unskilled, feeling inferior as well as inadequate. I I had all of that stuff that I had to deal with. But let me help you today. If you feel any of those things and you look at yourself and there's a tendency to compare, is there not? And we look at others... And you may say, well, why me? Why did you choose me, God? I mean, there's others who's better, who's more talented, who's more gifted, who's more articulate, who can sing better, who can play better, who can preach better. Why me? Well, I struggled with that for a long time. And then I realized, and I want to encourage you with this, I realized the one thing I had going for me was I was willing I was willing to say, yes, Lord. Whatever you want, whatever you want to do in me or through me, yes, Lord. I say, yes, Lord. Do you know that's the biggest breakthrough you will get in your life when you say, yes, Lord. It'll change your whole life. It'll cause you to do things you never thought you could do, go places you never thought you could go. Once you say yes, Yes, Lord. And I remembered the scripture in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. Let me read it. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence." But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And once you realize, no matter how untalented you feel, or how ungifted you may feel you are, (laughs) or how inarticulate you may feel you are, once you realize, God, the only thing i got going for me is I'm willing, <laughs> I'm just willing to surrender my life to you to do with whatever you want. And once you do that and you read those scriptures, you'll see that's the person that God can use. The person that God can't use is the person who's full of themselves, who's full of pride. God, God has got to leave that person aside until that's dealt with. Do you believe that he has begun a good work in you today? He said, I'm not sure what it is. There's a work in you, there's a work in every one of us. Because God had a plan and has a plan for each and every one of his children. There are no exceptions to that. It may never be public, it may be always behind the scenes. It may be not known by many, but if it's known by God and you're doing it, that's all that's required. That's what you'll be rewarded on, not what somebody else is doing. Now, if we truly believe that God has in each of us a responsibility, a call, a gift, an ability, something that we should do and can do, if we truly believe that, then it is our responsibility to stay on track with God. I can't emphasize this enough, to stay on track with God. There's going to be lots of things that will try to derail you in your walk with the Lord. The enemy of your soul does not want you to run this race. And he certainly doesn't want you to complete the race that is set before you. And so there'll be lots of distractions and things along the way, and you've got to see it for what it is and keep on track with God at all times. But David, did you not say that what God starts, he finishes? That if he's the Alpha, he'll be the Omega. That if he's the author of our faith, he'll be the finisher of our faith. Yes, I did say that. Don't you think Paul knew that? Of course he did. But listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse 24 to the end, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul says, I am doing everything in my power to keep on track with God. Yes, he will complete me. Yes, he will perfect me. But I got to keep on track with him, Listen to what Jesus said in Revelation 3 and 11 to the faithful church in Philadelphia. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one take your crown. Over and over and over again, we're warned to hold fast, to run the race, not disqualify ourselves, keep on track with God. And Hebrews chapter 12, Scripture you know so well. Just the first couple of verses, first three verses. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance with perseverance, with patience, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to blood, striving against sin. And so the writer to the Hebrews, again, is saying that we must continue to keep on track with God. Each of us is a work in progress. He hasn't finished with us yet. In Psalm 139, sorry, Psalm 138... Short little psalm. Psalm of David, he says, I will bless you with my whole heart. Before the gods I will sing praises to you. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name. For your loving kindness, for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord, though the Lord is on high. Yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he sees from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. Listen, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Peter was a man who often spoke out of turn. He was very opinionated. He didn't care who heard his opinion, even the Lord Himself. He actually thought he was braver than he, than he was. He boasted of his courage and his bravery. Though all these forsake you, yet I'll never forsake you. What a boast. Sometimes he was too overconfident in his own ability. And yes, in the end, he even denied his Lord. Yet Jesus saw in him so much potential that He never quit on Him, that He didn't give up on Him, and what an encouragement for us today! Jesus had to work on Him, He had to chip away at Him, <laughs> He had to shave a few shavings off Him here and there, He had to mold Him and make Him, He even had to rebuke Him, had to tell Him off because he loved them and he saw so much potential in Peter and on that post resurrection morning when Jesus met them on the seashore and after a fruitless night of fishing and empty nets and despondency and despair Jesus met them had cooked them a breakfast took Peter aside and three times said do you love me And he said, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. And then on the day of Pentecost, (laughs) Peter, that failure, the one who was humbled to the dust, (laughs) the one who had been a broken man, he stood up in the power of the Holy Ghost and preached his greatest sermon. And thousands, thousands, thousands came to Christ in one hour. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't give up on him? He who began a good work in him. And he hasn't given up on you either, sure he hasn't. I love that verse in, in Luke 22. is relating to the arrest of Jesus. In verse 54 I'll read from, having arrested him, they led him and brought him to the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as they sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him. But he denied him saying, woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You're also of them. But Peter says, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter says, Man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately, while he was speaking, when the very words were in his mouth, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He went out and he wept bitterly, humbled to the dust. But thank God... Was truly repentant. This was abject repentance. He wept bitterly. Never felt as low at that moment in his whole life. Never felt as ashamed at that moment as his whole life. Those, that look of Jesus was just enough. And it all come flooding back, all that bravado and all that bragging and all that pride and all that self-confidence was just smashed at his feet. But you know, and Jesus can work with somebody who's humble, and somebody who's prepared to repent, somebody who's prepared to hold up their hand and say, Do "You know what? I'm sorry, Lord." That was me. I am that man. And if we can do that, he'll never be finished with us. And Jesus saw here in Peter someone that he could work with. He'd have to remold him. He'd have to shape him. He'd have to take him aside and say three times, do you love me? For every time he denied him, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And so if we are willing to be humble, if we're willing to repent and say, I got it wrong, I made a mistake, then God will start. Well, God will finish what he started. He'll keep working on us. And sometimes we have to get to that point, and sometimes we will not progress another inch forward until we get to that point. And once we do, then we can move on in life. David was uncommonly brave. The Bible says he fought a lion and a bear when he was just a boy. Now, I don't know you, but any nature programs I have watched that tell me that the lion and the bear are the top predators and they're not to be messed with. A lion, if he goes for you, he will almost always go for your throat and throttle you. When you see those big animals, they jump on their back and they bring down, you'll notice there's always one who will grab the throat and suffocate the animal and kill it, and then they'll eat it. But the sad bear is different a bear will just start eating you. Alive before it kills you. He doesn't care where it starts. It'll take a bite out of anywhere. And young David was just a boy and single-handedly with his bare hands, he killed a lion and a bear. He was uncommonly brave. And later on, just as a young lad, as a, as a stripling, he slew the great giant of Gath, Goliath. What courage! He was a brilliant musician. The Bible says David played the harp skillfully. He was a great poet and songwriter. We call them the Psalms. He was the best king that Israel ever had. Israel prospered under his reign. He put all of his enemies down. He was a brilliant strategist. He was a great warrior, fearless in battle. And yet, and yet, he had weaknesses. It is often said that the best of men are just men at best. And that could be said about David. He was weak in so many areas. And that morning when he should have been out at the battlefront, when he should have been with his armies, he wasn't. He was safe and secure and confident and prosperous, strong, (laughs) but not as strong as he thought. When he saw Bathsheba bathing, his weakness overcame him. And you know the story well. I don't have to repeat it to you. Committed adultery. Not only that, but he was complicit in the death of her husband, Uriah the Hittite, one of his bravest soldiers. (laughs) Covered the whole thing up for about a year. It was the worst year of his life because he was living a lie and he knew it. He knew it. And of course, we know that moment whenever the prophet came to him. The prophet told him that story of the ewe lamb. Then he says, You're the man. It was you. And when he said that, he knew he was undone, (laughs) he knew that he was well caught. that God had exposed his sin, his inner life, and he was not going to get away. He was going to have to repent. He was going to have to humble himself. And thank God he was humble, and thank God he did repent of the sin. And in Psalm 51... If I may just read it for you. Psalm 51, his prayer of repentance. It says in the top of the prayer here, it says to the chief musician, the Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Isn't that beautiful? Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See how he's owning his sin here. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may... Be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Do you know that's the first time in Scripture that the Spirit was entitled the Holy Spirit? And David realized he was dealing with a holy God and a Holy Spirit. And he repented. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the blood of from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. He's thinking about Uriah the Hittite. The God of my salvation and my tongue shall praise aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall flow forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. And you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole offerings, burnt offerings. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. In Acts 13, Paul is giving one of his defenses against the, before the authorities. And in that defense, he recites uh, some of Israel's history. And in reciting some of Israel's history, he comes upon David. And he says, David was a man after God's own heart. And in 1 Samuel 13, whenever Samuel found that it was David who was the one that God had chosen to be king he said this is a man after God's own heart so God knew before David ever sinned before he fell before he messed up before he completely blew it God knew all of that but he still said he's a man after my own heart. Now, I don't know about you, but that encourages me. That gives me hope, and it should give you hope. That God knows the very worst about us, but if we're truly humble and repentant, (laughs) he still works on us and mixes into what he wants us to be. It took 20 years for God to turn... Jacob into Israel a prince with God conniving with his mother to get his brother's birthright tricking his father who was an old man and almost completely blind and how the two got together to dupe the old man to get that birthright then how he had to go on the run and was deceived himself by his uncle Laban and had to work so many years for the love of his life, Rachel. Hmm. In having to do all of that, and all of those years away from home, he finally had to go back and return under the death threat of his twin brother, Esau. And on that way back that's where he wrestled with the angel of the Lord at Jabbok. And you know the story well so I don't have to recite it to you. But just to say this. In Genesis 27 verse 32 when he's deceiving his father. His father was old and he was almost blind but he still had some wits about him. And he drew him close to him. You remember his mother had killed a goat and put some of the skin on the backs of his hands and the nape of his neck, and because Esau was a hairy man and Jacob wasn't. So he drew him close. And he felt the hands and the neck. And he said, What is your name? And he says, My name is Esau. I don't know how he was at impersonations, but I don't think he was that good. His father says, The hands are the hands of Esau, but the voice is the voice of Jacob. But still, and with all, he still tricked him. The father gave him the birthright. So now, all those years later, over 20 years later, he's wrestling with the angel of the Lord at Jabbok. And the angel Lord says to him, "What is your name?" As if he didn't know. <laughs> How many knows that when God asks you a question that he already knows the answer to, it's not for His benefit, it's for your benefit," he's asking. And he answered, he says, "My name is Jacob, the deceiver, the supplanter, the cheat. Fraud, because that's what his name meant, the heel grabber. So he owned up. My name is Jacob. All of that cheating, all of that deception, all of that deceit came flooding back. Now it was time to recognize and own it and repent of it. You remember how the angel of the Lord touched him in the hollow of his thigh? And he went lame for the rest of his life, limp on that leg, to remind him of that experience. And he said, You should be called Israel, a prince with God. (laughs) A prince with God. What a difference it makes when God hasn't finished with us. Psalm 138, David is struggling with how God's promises and his plans was going to work out in his life. Remember Samuel had anointed him. He knew he was going to be king. But he had a lot of problems to be king because Saul was on the throne for a long time, even though God's anointing and presence had left him, but he was still on the throne. And then, even worse than that, his own son, Absalom. You know, David was many wonderful things, but he wasn't a good father. If you, don't know, if you want to know the wrong way to handle your kids, read what David, how he handled Absalom. Completely wrong. And boy, he paid a price for it. Absalom wanted to kill him, wanted to kill his own father. And Ahithophel, who was David's confidant for years, he says, my own familiar friend has lifted up his head against me. That was Ahithophel. He sided with Absalom. And David again had to go on the run. And many believe this is when he wrote Psalm 138, when he was on the run from his own son, Absalom. So he's on every side, betrayed by his closest friend, threatened by murder by his own son, and exile on the run, not only his throne where he should be. And he writes this psalm. And what did he do? It may surprise you. Surprised me when I read it. Verse one, he says, I will praise you with my whole heart. (laughs) Here's the Psalmist coming out. Here's the here's the worshipper coming out. Here's the man after God's own heart coming out. In spite of all of the trouble that was around him. I think most of us when we're in trouble, all we do is offer up God our petitions. And David offered up his prayers and his worship. And there's a big difference, isn't there? Whenever we're in trouble, we like to moan and groan at God, don't we? <laughs> Why did this happen? Why did that get me into this? Why is this going all around me? And David says, I, I, I'll worship you with my whole heart. And that's what he did. We bombard heaven with a request, and David bombarded heaven with his worship. And what a difference that can make with his whole heart. He wasn't waiting for the circumstances to be in his favor first. Because they weren't in his favor in the natural. And he wasn't waiting for them to be in his favor first. He just praised God with his whole heart anyway. Not easy to do. Probably be the last thing we feel like doing. But even if we make a start... It's amazing how that lifts you and encourages you and gets you through it. And then he says something even more amazing. In verse 2, he says, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name. Now, what is so wonderful about that is that the temple hadn't even been built, the temple hadn't been built, it was in his heart. It was something that he desperately wanted to do. It was something he was planning on. As soon as he would get his throne, one of the first things he would do was build a temple for God because the ark was in a tent. And he wanted to be in a temple. He wanted something that was fitting and majestic and royal, something that would be wonderful to put the ark of the covenant in. So before it was ever built, it was in his heart and in his mind. That's what he wanted to do. That's why some people say that David didn't write this psalm. But he did write it. Everything about it is Davidic. Everything. So David was looking beyond his present circumstances... In his heart he wanted to build the temple for the Lord and we know that that was what he wanted to do and God says, no. No, your son's going to build it, not you. You have blood in your hands, not you. And gracious as ever, he said, okay, Lord, I'll provide the funds. (laughs) And he provided everything that was needed for his son to build the great temple, the temple of Solomon. See, right now in the midst of the battle of life and death, as far as David was concerned, God was perfecting his life. And by faith, he believed that his day would come, that a temple would be built that he would be on his throne, that all this would be behind him. And he praised God with his whole heart. It wouldn't end in a cave in the desert. It would end on a throne in Jerusalem. Verse 7 and eight, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me me. What a statement. What a bold, positive, prophetic statement. And he did it by faith. There was nothing in the natural, there was nothing in his circumstances would have told him to do that. But he did it. That was the man he was. He had humbled himself, he had repented, and God was molding him and shaping him. So can we say today, like David, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Can we say that today? Because that's what his plan is for your life. He's the alpha, he's the mega, he's the beginning and the end. What God starts, he will finish. Every prophecy and scripture will be fulfilled. Every promise and scripture will uh, will be honored and answered. All the promises of a God are yea and amen in Christ. And we are in Christ today. Hallelujah. So, can you trust Him to finish what He started? Is His word for you true today as it was yesterday? In the good times, when you felt good, is it still true today in your struggle? And in your battle, absolutely. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end. Glory to God. He that began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Be encouraged, saints of God. He hasn't finished with you yet. Yes, you'll mess up. Yes, you'll get it wrong. Yes, so will I. And sometimes you'll be disappointed in me and sometimes I will mess up and sometimes I'll say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing, but God hasn't finished with me. Glory to God. (laughs) I'm still a long way to go, but he's still working on me. Glory to God. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you today. We give you thanks for your generosity, for your marvelous grace, for your unfailing love, for your mercy and compassion for your faithfulness. Lord, it is true and it is new every single day. And we bless you for it. And so, Lord, continue your work in each of our lives. Lord, you know where we're at and you know where we need to be. And you know how to get us there. So, Lord, help us to keep humble, to repent when we need to, to keep on track before you, and, Lord, you will do everything that we cannot do to get us into your perfect place. Giving you thanks, Lord, for all that you have done in the past, for all that you're doing today, for all that you will yet do in the future. We love you and we appreciate all of your mercies. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.